Hey, it's Adam Sank. And if you like my radio show, you'll love my comedy album, Adam Sank, live from the Stonewall Inn. <gasps> oh my goodness. What? Fellatio? Really? Available on Amazon, iTunes, and Google Play. Derek here. I just wanted to remind you that it is the season of giving, and we'd like to invite you to make a donation to the Derek and Romaine Internship Program. It's easy to make a tax-deductible donation. Just go to gaycenter.org slash DNR. That's gaycenter.org slash DNR. Help us help LGBT youth. Like me, Gwen. Your donations help youth like me have an amazing opportunity to learn all about radio. Through this program, I've been able to learn how to work a soundboard, edit recordings, write scripts, and much more, all in a fun, laid-back, and most importantly, a welcoming and LGBT-safe environment. So go to gaycenter.org DNR today to donate so that LGBT youth like me can have the opportunity to take part in this wonderful experience. Again, that's gaycenter.org DNR. Thank you! about to hear contains highly offensive and indecent material. Ryan, pull down your pants. <laughs> JB, you start sucking. The host, a comedian of questionable talent, speaks incessantly on topics of a sexual and scatological nature. I will fuck you, but I will not eat you. I want that fucking dick down my throat while I'm dicking him down. Okay. I hope my mother's listening. Your ass became a rosebud? Yeah, that's because I got dicked down real good. <laughs> he asks questions of his celebrity guests that are highly inappropriate and rude. Which of you has a bigger penis? Oh, that's a good one. That's a fun, good one. Going down on the clitoris? Oh, yes. Oh, I Absolutely. like where you're going with yep. this. For some reason, the word strap-on just comes right out of my mouth, Bianca. Yeah, you said come and strap-on at the same time. And he cannot stop talking about his buttocks. I think your butt is telling you, no moss, por favor. <laughs> this is the Adam Sank Show. If it's in my hand, I'm going to suck it. Powered by DNR Studios. <laughs> and now... The one, the only... Yes, it's the Adam Sank Show. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast award nominated Adam Sank Show. We are live if you're listening at 11 a.m. Eastern time on October 20th at adamsank.com slash podcast podcast. Call in to talk to us at 844-825-5367. Leave us your ratings and reviews on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to this bullshit. Email me at adam at adamsank.com. Like the Facebook page and whatever else you do, show up to vote on Tuesday, November 6th. Our future depends on it. We have a huge show today. Our guest is Brian Belovich, the author of a really fascinating new memoir called Transfigured, My Journey from Boy to Girl to Woman to Man. It's really amazing. We'll be talking to him a little later, but first... Uh, as, as you all know, Ryan Frostig has left the ass for now. Uh, we are all very sad and mourning his absence. However, with me today, for the very first time, is a hilarious comedian who will be filling in as guest co-host. His name is Tarek Daniels. Hello, hello, hello. It's an honor to be here. Wait a second. Here we go. There's your applause, Tarek. Yay. I was a little slow on the end. I live for the applause. Thank I you know so you much. Do. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I've been wanting you on this show, actually, for a long time. I've been waiting for a co-host spot to open up because well, I wanted you to be more than just a guest. Yes, thank you. I, yeah, that's. I feel very, very special. I haven't felt this special in a long time. Thank you, As Adam. well you should. Tark, do you know that there's another black gay guy named Tark Daniel? I do. And it's funny. And he's written a book. Yes. And he's a lot more successful than me. Is and he? I, I don't. I, well, I don't know him, and I haven't read the book, and I should. I kind of want him to make me change my name because I... I don't love it that much, so I want him to be like, well, I'm first, I've written a book, well, you gotta change your name. And it's weird, because it's not like your name is Jim Daniels or something. <laughs> know, like, right? Tarek's fairly unusual name. Yeah, it's an Arabic name, and it's very popular in other countries, um, but in- But he's yeah. just an American black guy like I you. Know. He, I think he's in Texas. Yeah. He wrote a novel called No Bonds So Strong. He's really cute. He is cute, and so how I <laughs> discovered this is I was Googling you to try to find suitable photos for the promo and also just to see what you were up to these days. And I keep seeing this other dude, and I'm like, I know white people think that all black people look alike, <laughs> but like these are two black, two two different black guys. This is not the same it's person. It's not, no. We and, don't look alike, but he's, yeah. But he is gay and kind of like your age, right? I think he's younger. You think? 
I mean, I look his age. He's like 10 years younger, but I look 10 years younger than I am. I'm 40, but I don't really look 40. What if you two met and fell in love? I know. Wouldn't that be amazing? The other Tarek Daniels, if you're listening, <laughs> call us at 844-825-5367. Yeah, can I buy you dinner? We'll tr- we'll see if we can make a love connection. We yeah. should have him on the show, actually, to yeah, promote the middle. Um, Tarek, we have uh, so much to talk about today, and our top story is something... We may just spend the entire show talking about this. Okay. Because I have a lot to say about it. Were you, had, did you follow the whole Todrick Hall I read a, debacle? I read week? all about it, and I never saw the actual video of him going off. And I can't... I, yeah. But, and I love him, and I, I'm kind of here you? for it. Let me say this. For those of you who don't know who Todrick Hall is, and a surprising number of people, even gay people, have no idea, Todrick Hall is a performer of sorts. Uh, he's been in Broadway musicals. He's a singer, dancer. I guess he's an actor. Choreographer. Choreographer. I think he's best known to the American people, if known at all, from RuPaul's Drag Race. Because yes. he's on the show a lot as... I think he's been a judge. He's kind of been a mentor to For the someone queens. who's been following his career since before then, he oh. was actually a YouTube star. And he, he wanted to be on Glee. And then he was shut down from uh, um, American Idol. Uh, what's his face? The mean one. Simon Cowell? Simon Cowell ripped him a new one oh. and said, you don't have the voice for this. So he decided to make his own YouTube videos and do his own music and choreography. I did not know that. Yeah, That's right. He did become a wrong. YouTube star, right? Mm-hmm. So he's a, he's an accomplished, successful person, great looking guy, talented. I never really had any opinion of him one way or the other. I didn't really know him except for RuPaul's Drag Race. Well, he went on a tirade uh, this past week on his own Instagram um, first, let me tell you that he has over a million followers. He's wow. a huge following. So apparently he was dating this guy, one of his backup dancers, and things went south. And this is what he wrote. Shit's about to get real. Um, you know, basically he said, I'm looking for a new boyfriend and here are the requirements. One, must be able to maturely express themselves and not hold in their feelings and assume that I know how they feel because that's how nine-year-olds act. Two, must not come on tour with me, meet other guys, start sleeping with them, and give them crap tickets to my show. Oh, excuse me, <laughs> comp tickets to my show. Uh, that wasn't on purpose. Uh, particularly on days when I'm burying my relatives. Where's the shade bell? Um, I need my bell for this. There's going to be a lot of this today. Number three, must not lie to me about what they're doing when they're sleeping with me when their new secret side fling isn't around. Must mention to me that they have a, quote, boyfriend after hanging out with them for a week before engaging in intimate activities with me again. Must not allow me to fly them all over the world so they can do jobs and make money while sneaking away multiple times to go, quote, not hang out with their ex while he's conveniently in town and then crawl back into the house looking shady and guilty as fuck at 6 a.m. And it just went on and on and on. Now, initially, uh, I read all this and... I mean, there were so many different Instagram screen grabs that you, someone actually made a video out of it. You had to like put it all together to read the whole thing. But initially, I just thought, well, this is messy. Very. I don't like it when non-famous people do this. I, I think like just ordinary, everyday people that are on my Facebook feed, when they start like slamming some person in their life, I'm mm-hmm. like... Well, they're going to regret it. They're going to regret it. It's, it's childish. It's not the way adults handle their shit. It's like, we all have shit. Yeah. And people think I overshare on Facebook, but actually most of my life I keep private. Yeah. I think you're, I love you on Facebook, by the way. But Thank you. Um, I think definitely I didn't get to see the video, so I feel a little left out. And so I, see, I understand him being angry, but it's, an, it's kind of embarrassing to go and, and act that way. And I it's think reported. so too. So I thought, okay, this is messy. This is shady. This is childish. But I didn't really care. Yeah. It didn't affect me. Then he went further he showed pictures of the boyfriend. He said his name and he tagged him Ooh, on social that. media. And that's that. when I got real pissed. Because to me, that's a gross abuse of power. When you have a million followers, when you're a famous person, and he is famous at this point, and you're dating a non famous person, yeah. that person doesn't have the power that you have. So when you essentially sick your million followers on that person, they're going to make his life a living hell. And they did. He got death threats. He got doxxed. He got trolled. 
you have a million people pissed off at you. And by the way, we don't know his side of the story. We don't know his side of the story. And even if he did cheat on him, even if he did use him and do all that, it doesn't des- he doesn't deserve to die for it. Right. Let karma get him. Exactly. Or how about you two, the two of you handle it offline? Yeah. You, you know, so I don't usually do this. I don't usually get involved in celebrity stuff. I don't troll celebrities, except for Donald Trump, who I troll every single day. <laughs> I, I literally every day I tweet back to him he and call him a get him fascist, racist piece of shit. Because so he forth. is. Because he is, and because that's political protest. He's not, exactly. a, he's not a TV star. He's the fucking president of the United States. But I just felt moved to tweet at Todrick. And I said, "Dear, this is on Twitter. Dear Todrick, your epic rant about your ex is basically a giant advertisement for why nobody should ever date you. Good luck with your life. Boom. And you know you're right. And when I said earlier that I love him, I I have Shade. a thing. Thank you. <laughs> I have a thing I want to support another black gay man. Of course. And when I when he first came out and I've seen some of his videos, I didn't really like them and I I with my friends hated on it a little bit. And then I was like, "Wait a minute. I'm a performer. I'm trying to pursue a career and I don't think that it's fair that I should hate on him let him do his thing and I like seeing success like I like seeing other people successful so it's sad that he he chose to do this you just you can't be that nasty well so I tweeted that and I certainly never expected him to respond he responded I'm sorry I interrupted no that's okay he wrote back (laughs) all he wrote back was okay which I was kind of like all right that's fine but once he did that his million Twitter followers started freaking out oh, at no. me. And like I started getting a lot of hate from a lot of like Did you get angry teenagers. Not death threats, but just like, who the fuck are you? Who do you, you know, how can you talk to, Todrick's in pain. He's just telling his truth. Go to your therapist. Shut the fuck up. So I was, and then I was writing back to some of them. I mean, I got real, I got in the weeds with this and I was like, you know, Listen, this is an abuse of power. He's got a million followers. The other guy, we don't know what really happened. We, we're only hearing one side of it. I went back and forth with these guys. And then Bob the drag queen got involved. Oh, okay. What happened with that? Bob basically shamed me and said, like, mind your own fucking business. Tadra can do what he wants. It's his story. He can tell it the way he wants to. You know, shut the fuck up. Now, wow. I love Bob the drag queen. I do too. I love and admire him so much. And I know him in person. We've worked together. And like that upset me. A, because he's got even more followers than Todrick. And so now it was like the floodgates were open. Now the entire internet hated me. And I went back and forth with Bob a few times. And I was like, Bob, come on. I love you. But you got to see how wrong this was. If you want to vent, vent. You don't have to name people and tag them. That's just bullying is all it is. And he was like... You're not the one who, to tell other people how to act. This isn't your job. To, to, and and again, like none of this would I wouldn't even know about Todrick and his boyfriend if Todrick hadn't decided to share it with he the put world. It out there. I didn't go through Todrick's mail. Like, of course, <laughs> I have a right to comment on this. We he he's inviting us all to comment on it. Yeah. Did he think everyone was going to enjoy that and think that it was okay and not? I'm, does he have a cousin or a auntie? Was a like friend? baby. You shouldn't. No. No. So not a good look. And and then I just there was such negative hate <laughs> coming my way, which was entirely my own doing. So I took my original tweet down. I was like, I don't need this in my life. Yeah. I said, peace be with all of you. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, Todrick, a few days after he posted the rant, posted a video of himself, quote unquote, apologizing. I thought it was kind of a half-assed apology. He mm-hmm. did mention that. His ex was was getting death threats and, um, um, you know, bullying and all kinds of things. And he didn't want that. And he also basically said, my mother didn't raise me to do this. Um, I should have been like Michelle Obama. Instead, I was like Cardi B. He was kind of making light of the whole thing and joking. I still think it was really, really shitty. Yeah. I agree. And I, I just, you know, if I can say one thing to people, and I'm sorry to Bob and to all of Todrick's fans, handle... Your shit like an adult. Um, I don't agree with what Todrick did. Thank you. Uh, for someone who preaches love all and respect all, you don't throw someone's business out there like that. I understand anger very well. Trust and believe I understand anger. Very I know. Well. You don't. When you're angry, yeah, sure. The first, the first rant was fine, but then once you tag 
someone's real life out there, you're just inviting trouble and inviting bad juju. And like we've all had, we've all been cheated on. We've all been hurt. Yeah, and when I became an adult, I I get really mad, and my first instincts to do things, and I get being public and sure. lashing out, and I have to pause and calm down. I t- I talk to myself. I'm like, wait, just wait, because your your reaction is going to be, you're going to regret it, because you're going to go off, you're going to embarrass yourself, and because he, clearly he's all in his feelings, and clearly he still cares for this person. If he was so bothered by what happened, mm-hmm. to do all of this to publicly, and you know, he's a public person, so. It's it's embarrassing for him. Well, I, I wanted to play the be. sound of his apology video, but he has since taken it down. Why I don't know. Maybe his fans who were like, "No, I'm still threatening to kill him. Take it down. You were right." Right. Exactly. <laughs> Which where's the logic in in that? Todrick, if you're listening, call us at eight four four eight two five five three six seven. Please call along in, with Todrick. the other Tark Daniels, and yeah. we'll have a three way phone call. Okay. So, um, in other uh, <laughs> in other misbehavior news. Um, a big story over the last couple of weeks was this Lyft passenger, a gay Lyft passenger named Robert Ortiz, who got into a Lyft drawn by a man named Sean Peppas Letman and apparently wanted Sean to change the music. I should mention that Robert Ortiz was with two of his friends. They were coming out of a gay club. The three of them are openly gay. Presumably the driver is not. He was a... Um, either African or maybe a West Indian man. Um, he's a black man. He's a black man. <laughs> um, Robert Ortiz asked him to change the music. He refused. Things got heated. The, the Lyft driver pulled over on the side of the road. This happened here in New York City. In, in um, I think it was in Uptown in New York. And, uh, and then things got really, really ugly. Robert Ortiz called the police on the driver to say he's charging me for this lift ride even though he's he won't let me finish it and he won't change mm-hmm. the music and then and then the lift driver started recording the exchange that went on and it went on for 16 minutes here's a piece of it here's robert ortiz this piece of shit decided to record me this piece of shit decided to fucking put me on blast because all i asked for was music because he decided to say no because he's like i bet you if i was black and black lives matter he would have put the music on. Fuck Black Lives Matter. Every fucking life matters. This is the state of New York. This is the United States. Every fucking life matters. It doesn't matter what complexion you are, what sexual orientation you are. This piece of shit decided to record me because he got upset because I'm sitting in an Uber. No, fuck that because I requested music. Fuck that. I'm not gonna be irate. I pay my taxes for these piece of shits. Fuck this piece of shit. Fuck this piece of shit. Fuck this piece of shit. I want you to know that clearly. One more time. Fuck you. You can record me as much as you want. That's just a very small piece of a 16-minute long. Uh-huh. Which I watched this morning. It's all of it so entirety. ugly. What do you think? Uh, I hate this guy so much. A gay Trump supporter. He axed. I axed. <laughs> he axed. <laughs> him to play music it was it was just so it's so it, another thing that's so embarrassing and like we're like everything is recorded it's all there he knows he's being recorded because he, he keeps bitching about he it he gives his phone number he says where he works web web md city md city which MD. he's fired from he no longer works there yes uh it, it says his name his phone number uses the n-word yeah he uses the n-word calls him a piece of shit when a white person calls like or he's actually latin right he's la- he's puerto rican he's puerto rican oh Puerto Rican and gay. Now, he may have just said he was a Trump supporter to piss off this guy. But let me say something about the driver. This guy's a fucking saint. He sat there staring straight ahead while this all went on two feet behind him. This guy, this piece of shit, Ortiz, is getting in his face. Yeah. In his face, shoving his phone in his face, calling him a piece of shit, calling him the N-word. And this guy just stares straight ahead doesn't say a word, doesn't lose his temper, but does the right thing, which is he records his ass. And he could see his eyes, how calmly he's sitting there, like, can you believe this? And he's looking because he knows that he has his evidence. And I'm glad Robert Ortiz didn't touch him because they could have been... He came close. He came close. I I don't know what his response would have been there, but that man was so calm. And you know know, he he did himself a um, GoFundMe. The driver did. Yeah, yeah, the driver did because he raised like thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, they suspended him. Br- Lyft Br- temporarily yeah, suspended him while they investigated. 
here's what really offended me most about the whole thing. Like the rant is terrible. The guy's complete douchebag. He's a terrible representative of any community. But what upset me the most is when you call the police on a black man, you're threatening their life. Yeah. I know that as a white person. He, Robert Ortiz, definitely knows that as a person of color. He knows that when you're in, a, in anywhere, in any city, and you call the police and say, this person is doing something to me, you are putting that person's life and safety at risk. And it was all because he couldn't get his way. It was ridiculous. He couldn't get his way. We know as a, ki- I, as a kid, I remember crank calling and people being like, don't crank call 911. Don't crank call the police because you're playing games and someone else might need their attention for a valid reason. Yeah. So he's on the phone calling them for such, an, such a ridiculous reason. And-, and the police kept going, does he have a weapon? Yeah. Is he threatening you? No, but no. he's making me pay. He didn't want to play my music. He didn't. Yeah. So, um, as Tark said, Ortiz was fired immediately when this this happened, by the way, in August. But for some reason, it just was posted online this past week. He was fired the next day from City MD. He had to change his phone number <laughs> because like Todrick Hall's boyfriend, he was getting quite a few calls. Um, he deserves those calls. Absolutely. And then he, Robert Ortiz, posted an apology of sorts, mm-hmm. some of which went like this. For Mr. Sean, I'm sorry that I may have said things to you that was so disrespectful or violated your personal space. But I just want to point out that I'm not racist. I'm not racist. Yeah. Yeah. I'm from New York. Sometimes you say things just to get under somebody's skin. And I think that's what I was trying to do. When I saw that I said that I voted for Trump, I almost vomited in my mouth. Like we say things just to get people upset at the moment. We do? A lot of things that I said weren't acceptable again, but they were just said out of anger. And as a man, I'm sorry for that. But you can't help me get back what I lost. Oh, he's a victim now. He's a victim. Martyr. And, you know, he says he was really drunk and he doesn't even remember what he said. And and I hate that excuse because I've been blasted out of my mind. Wasted I, beyond. On every drug, <laughs> drunk fucked within an inch of my life i still don't say racist shit i still don't terrorize a driver because i disagree with his actions or whatever just get the fuck out of the car deal with lyft later contact the company say give him a bad review and and also i want to say his friends are assholes because at no point like a few times they go oh come on let's just go let's just go but at no point do they say to him hey Shut the fuck up. Stop talking to this guy this way. Yeah, let's go. They, I would agree. And he was so insistent on staying like, no. Like he was he acted like the, the driver had attacked him and physically assaulted him. He didn't the, he didn't want to play his music, so what? Yeah. You ruined you just... he's ruined his life by being an asshole over nothing. And I have to say, I don't want to put Todrick Hall in the same category as Robert Ortiz, but we do have this culture now, and it's set, by the way, from the top. It's the tone is set from Donald Trump. It's this culture where we just feel that it's perfectly okay to rage at people yeah. publicly. And it's not. It's, not okay. it's just not. We're never going to get anywhere if this is how we live our lives. People have to take responsibility for their actions and just act like grown-ups. Um, I want to skip the next story, uh, JB, because we're running late. We'll do that at a future date. But I want to talk about this because this was also really upsetting to me. Um, I'm a member of the New York City Gay Men's Chorus. And we have a relationship with the Coro Gay Ciudad de Mexico, which is the Mexico City Gay Men's Chorus. They are like the greatest people ever. They they came up to New York a couple years ago to sing with us. Um, I had two of the members stay in my apartment for a week. They were so much fun. And then we went down there this past summer and sang with them in Mexico City in Puerto Vallarta. So they, they, they're only a five-year-old chorus. They started with nothing. They were like, you know, rehearsing in someone's apartment. And they've really come so far in such a short time and are becoming internationally recognized as just a really high quality singing group. So they traveled to Los Angeles to perform with the Gay Men's Chorus of LA. Uh, This happened on October 7th and they were in the airport and they were detained after an officer, a customs officer found sheet music in their luggage. What? Uh, What happened was one of the members Jorge Gutierrez has the same name as an individual who's suspected of stealing a truck 
Because guess what? There are a lot of Jorge Gutierrez's. <laughs> yeah. Just like there are a lot of Tarek Daniels. <laughs> yes. This Gutierrez Mucho. is a university literature professor, and he was waiting in an office for his identity to be, to be verified when some of his fellow chorus members started chatting with him about the concert. Well, after overhearing this, the customs guys got all suspicious because the, their chorus, just like our chorus, is nonprofit. They don't make a dime. They don't get paid. They're not professional singers. They're, it's, a, it's a volunteer organization. But when they go to another country, they say they're there for tourism. That's what we say, too, because there's no category that you can click. That, like On that form, there's nothing that says, like, I'm volunteering in a performing arts organization. So tourism is as close as it comes. So Customs was like, oh, they're not really tourists. They're working in this country illegally. So they were detained for a while. And finally, uh, after their director said to them, listen, if you want to hold us here or try to send us back, this is going to become an international incident. Like, we're the Cuero Gay Ciudad de Mexico. And so finally, uh, they let them go. Um, they were, this was actually, they weren't in LA when this happened. This happened at Houston's William P. Hobby Airport in Texas, of course. So finally they were, they were allowed to continue on their way and they went to LA and they made the concert in time. But I just know that if this had been like the Norwegian gay men's chorus, this shit wouldn't have happened. Exactly. It's just so fucking ugly what's happening in this country. It's racist. Well, you know, it's sad that it's 2018 and this is happening. But I always say that this country was built on racism and yes. murder and genocide and all these awful things. So when you build your house on sand, it keeps crumbling. But I feel like there are beautiful things and there's so many intelligent, wonderful people here. I felt I still feel I still my heart still wants us to be better and do right. Yeah. We keep failing. Yeah. It, but it's just, it's in our, it's in. But there's such a feeling of helplessness because it's like, yeah. I try to be a good person. I try to do good deeds. Yeah. I try to treat people fairly. But every time I turn on the television, there's an, there's another person on video just spewing hatred and ugliness. There's another group being detained for no reason. It's It's just, it really, it's such a scary time. And I just hope, I hope and pray that every single person listening votes. On November sixth, oh. because that's the only weapon we have right now is is voting and and protests and resistance. Right, and I love that you're saying that. And I I made a post last night because I'm like, if one more person person asked asked me if I'm <laughs> registered to vote, I'm going to murder them because it's such a, a ridiculous question to ask to to ask me because of course I I vote like it I want I, we you guys come on now it it blows my mind but you know how many young people people your age do not vote it 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 infuriates me yeah that they don't it's it infuriates crazy. me i'm not young i'm i'm 40 are you i'm 40 yeah mm. i look young you do I look young <laughs> you look young i knew you were younger you're... than me but i thought you were like in your 30s thank you i'm old as fuck no you're not um in much lighter news but in a related airplane story uh, actually this is this week's cocktails and cock talk story and now, time for another stupid story from Cocktails at Cocktalk.com. Yeah, suck my cock. Ooh. That's Frank Liotti. He oh. says that at the end. <laughs> I love him so much. So this story actually broke all over the place, but I, I loved the Cocktails and Cock Talk version of it because the headline is, Trolley Dolly Sacked for Sucking Off Gay Porn Star in Airplane Toilets. <laughs> I guess in the UK, flight attendants are called Trolley Dollies. Uh. <laughs> So I love that. There's a porn star here in New York City named Austin Wolf, who I see constantly. He lives in my neighborhood. He's always like skulking down the street. Big, hot, blonde, sex addict who mm -hmm. um, he's one of these like, I mean, he was a legit porn star, but then he started his uh, just for fans, only fans, one of those pages where it's like self-published porn. Mm -hmm. And his thing is he's constantly having sex with guys in public places at the gym in public bathrooms and so forth. And then he videotapes it and puts it online. It's kind of hot. Well, he was flying on a Delta Air Airways flight and he went into that little tiny bathroom on the plane with an off-duty flight attendant who was wearing his Delta uniform and his name tags. And someone filmed them, presumably Austin filmed them. The guy performed oral sex on him 
and Cocktails and Cock Talk says, the porn star posted two videos to Twitter of the trolley dolly servicing him before standing up and spreading them cheeks. <laughs> Delta Airways found the videos on Twitter. Um, the two apparently spent eight minutes together in the bathroom. Uh, the flight attendant claims that in all of those eight minutes, he had no idea he was being filmed. When reached uh, for comment, Wolf said, I just want to be left alone, please. I'm trying to get my life back on track. Because uh, he's another victim. Uh, he's the one who posted this on his own Twitter. Uh, Tarek and JB, I have done extensive research. I looked all over the internet. I could not find these videos. You know I tried how to diligent work. I am. I tried to find them too at work because it sounds so hot. It sounds hot. At one point, there were mm. screen grabs of it and video, but it, it's been scrubbed from every Tumblr. I, if someone can find it, please send me the please. link. I just or It's for in. research. It's call in and let us is know. Is that what we call it now? We call it research? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I also reached out to Austin Wolf to see if he wanted to tell his side of the story, but he did not. Um, if indeed somehow he filmed this guy without his, his knowing it, that's a crime. Right. They could also face um, federal charges for like disrupting an, air, an airline flight, although technically they didn't disrupt. No one knew it happened until he posted it online. Yeah, but eight minutes. They took up the bathroom for eight minutes, and that's kind of rude. I, if I was going to go down on somebody, I would do like a real quickie little lick, lick, like two minutes, because I would get nervous. Well, he also some... got fucked. Oh, he he fucked him? He spread yeah, his he, cheeks. That's the, when you said this. Oh, you did? Uh, oh, see, I haven't. Oh. Yeah, this is this is the audio from the plane. No, this got is fucked. the employee. That's just generic I audio. thought it was. No, the flight attendant got fucked. The flight attendant got fucked in his uniform, which, mm -hmm. I mean, that's really stupid to do it. But I get and messy. Being, it's so messy, but I get the role playing and like, yeah, you want to be in uniform. Well, and he wow. now, uh, the, the Delta Airlines employee has been suspended pending an investigation. Delta says this does not meet our standards. Of, um, I hope of, they don't fire of bathroom him. He sex. was off duty. He was off duty, but listen, like, you're not supposed to fuck in the airplane bathroom, period, and especially not wearing your flight attendant yeah. uniform. Um, I'm going to skip right to our Pride update because it is time for our guest segment. So here is this week's Pride update, and there's the unlicensed Pride music. First of all, a quick uh, story out of Tokyo. Tokyo has passed a law banning discrimination against the LGBTQ community. Yay. Yes, right yeah. before the 2020 Summer Olympics, the law will help the city meet the Olympic Charter's inclusion standards and will include conducting a public education campaign about LGBTQ rights. So congratulations to Tokyo. Thank you, Tokyo. I always think of Japan as being a very socially progressive place, but apparently it's, it's still legal to discriminate against uh, LGBTQ people in the country, but no longer in Tokyo. Uh, meanwhile, this week, they're celebrating Pride down in Honolulu. Yes, Hawaii Pride. They have Bruce Valanche as their headliner. Love it. Wouldn't you love that gig? Oh, my God. How fun would it be to headline Hawaii Pride? It would be amazing. It would be a dream. Hawaii Pride, listen, I'm retiring from stand-up, but if you want me next year, I am there, and I will do it for very little money. He's still available. And I will, I will available. not even blow a porn star on my flight. <laughs> um, meanwhile, in Savannah, Georgia... It's the first annual, excuse me, it's, well, it's Pride, but it's also the first annual Savannah Pride Paw Raid, P-A-W Raid. Uh, people can bring their costumed furry pals to Market Street down in Savannah. Uh, there's a host of other activities happening for Savannah Pride. Go to savannahpride.com. And that is our Pride update. Pride is coming to a close, Tark, but uh, it's still, it's October now, and they're still celebrating it in parts of the world. Yes, I'm Pride. So now it's time for our guest segment, and... Um, our guest today has been a singer, an actress, an actor, a military wife, a boyfriend, an escort, a journalist, and now an author, to name just a few of his many identities. His book is, is called Transfigured, My Journey from Boy to Girl to Woman to Man. Please welcome to the ass, Brian Belovich. <laughs> welcome. Thank you, Adam. So nice to meet you. It's great to have you here. Yeah. I, your to publicist me. sent me a link to the book. And I've been reading it nonstop all week. I can't stop. It's addictive. It's really an incredible story. Thank you. I want to first make clear to the listeners, because I know that um, the book has met with some controversy. So I want to make clear this. You don't consider yourself to be ex-trans in the way that some people now call themselves ex-gay. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. I'm gay of trans experience. 
that's how you describe yourself at this yeah. point. I mean, if I have to describe myself, that's how I would describe myself. So it's, I mean, how could I not have that experience after <laughs> 15 years? If it was a week, right? maybe I might be an ex-trans, but after. <laughs> but you're well aware that there, there are those there, in the trans community who fear this kind of story coming out because they yes. go, we don't want people to think that we can just go back and forth whenever we feel like it. Yes, I do understand that. And I think that, you know, for, for you know, many of us, you know, we're all born with gender and... Um, you know, for some people it's a destination, but for me, in my case, it was a journey. It was a journey, and you know, um, a long one. Yeah. You know, um, and for anyone that's concerned about that, you know, I think that, um, for the most part, you know, um, people in that community for many, many years, and myself included, wanted acceptance, and to be included for who they were uh, uh, presenting themselves to be. So I think that in my case, I would hope that I would be afforded the same opportunity uh, from that, for members of that community that I was a very you know big part of for many, many years. Sure. Your story, I feel like could fill 10 books. And, and I feel like in some ways you've lived at least 10 lives. At least. <laughs> it, it, we only have, you know, 25 minutes for this interview. I kind of just want you to talk and tell your story. I don't even want to ask questions because it, it's, it's so multi-layered and it begins in Providence, Rhode Island. So to talk a little bit about your upbringing and, and, and how all of this began. Well, I grew up in Providence, Rhode Island. I actually was born in Massachusetts and I, I, we moved to Providence when I was, um, five my parents divorced and uh so my mom was a single mom raising like six kids in the 60s <laughs> 70s so it was a you know it was a lot of chaos in the in the family and uh i have five brothers and one sister i'm the only identified you know um uh, gay person in the family mm -hmm. um and uh all my brothers are were you know very sort of s super butch you know masculine um into sports and you know several a couple of them were like heavyweight boxers mm -hmm. and just gigantic big muscular guys and and I sort of felt you know I sort of was the one that was sort of you know gender non-conforming and uh, uh, suffered a lot of you know um, uh, abuse and a lot of you know um, ostracism for that you know um, and I was talking about this yesterday with someone you know we didn't have the vocabulary back then to describe you know someone that was you know sort of on the spectrum of being a you know a little bit feminine a little bit masculine we didn't have the words or the vocabulary right you were either a butch or a queen yeah, you were either butch or you were femme right you were either exactly either or it's very dangerous either or yes either or either or and then you and back then in the 70s when i was coming out you had to sort of pick a lane you know you sort of either fit in with you know you fit in with the you know the more masculine gays or you were a drag queen or you were, you know, considered, you know, femme, you know, feminine, whatever. So there was a, it was pretty rigid as far as the, the gender roles that you, you were assigned. And so, you know, somehow I got the idea that I would be better off. Um, and that was a message that was instilled with me very early on from like the age of like five, four or five years old. I was already getting that message that perhaps there might have been a mistake about my gender and that I needed to, you know, think about, you know, maybe I, I was in the wrong, you know, body or the wrong uh, gender. And so I, I, I uh, accepted those ideas. And uh, when I was old enough to act out on it, I did. And um, and I and and really I did it for the wrong, for the wrong reasons. By the you time know. you moved to New you moved to New York in 1974. Yeah, you were 19. Yeah, 18. Yeah, 18. Yeah, yeah. you were already starting to transition, and you, according to to your story in the book, you were turning tricks yeah. as as a trans woman at this yes. point. Yes, yeah. Sex work is a big part of my uh, story for all through my. Um, my uh, gender uh, experience. What was your experience 
of New York City in the mid seventies, you when you arrived, this teenager from Providence, Rhode Island. I mean, was your was your mind blown? Oh my God, it was amazing. I mean, I landed right smack dab in the middle of Greenwich Village. On you know, I, I lived at the Albert uh, Hotel Albert Albert on Tenth uh, Street and University Place, which is now is a very Tony address, um, and you know, it was this really kind of eclectic. Uh, <laughs> transient hotel with you know we, there was a whole group of trans people that lived there there was a group of drag entertainers there were motorcycle guys there were musicians so it was really a really cool uh, place sort of like the Chelsea Hotel mm -hmm. um, and the village you know I, I, I was also sort of considering being gay at that time so I spent about maybe six maybe about six to nine months trying to do the Christopher Street stroll up and down the street and trying to you know fit in with the gay community during that time which was the height of the macho man sort of you know the, the clone the look. clone look mm -hmm. with the handlebar mustache and the muscle tees and the you know the ripped jeans and I was so not fitting into that um, uh, 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 group and so I found myself alienated and lost and alone and lonely. And my, my good friend that I'd moved to New York with, he, um, you know, he was very, he was handsome. This is Polly. Polly, yes. Mm -hmm. He was very handsome and didn't, never had a problem meeting men and hooked up with somebody right away and, you know, moved out. And so I was, there I was alone with my conflicts and my confusion. And uh, eventually I started taking hormones again and and started dressing in drag and then sort of, you know, going out and getting further um, uh, involved in my transition. And then by the time I left, uh, by the time I left New York then and went back to Rhode Island, I was already well on my way. Um, and so you were doing heroin at that point? Um, not that early. The heroin came a little bit after mm -hmm. in the, uh, when I came back to New York the second time. So I had to come back for more, you know, more punishment. Are you sure? <laughs> so one of the most sort of surprising parts of your story is that at some point you meet this handsome guy. He joins the Navy. Uh, the Army? Okay. You Please correct me if yeah, anything yeah, I say yeah. is wrong. Uh, you get your uh, gender legally changed. The two of you get married. Yeah. You move to Germany and you become a military wife. Yes. <laughs> and no yes. one there, I mean, he knew, obviously, but no yeah. one there, no one knew, none of the other military guys or their wives knew that you were a trans woman. No, I never, I had what they call now this fabulous term, which is called passing privilege. So I passed on, on very many levels and, uh, and, you know, I, I married, you know, it was before same-sex marriage it was before even marriage was I mean I'm sure it was on a lot of our minds back then but it was well before it was even being played out but legally changing your gender I didn't even know you could do that back then well I had a doctor I mean it's it's I think I tell the story in the book a little bit but I had a doctor who um, I I applied for the passport I had I had uh, changed my name legally to Natalia and when I went to City Hall to get my ID, my state ID, they handed it back to me and it said F on it. Just, and at this point, you, you were, were taking the, the hormones. You still hadn't had your uh, breast implants, did you? I had uh, started getting silicone injections. Are you okay if I ask about these no, things? No, not at I know all. That Please, it's, a it's touchy... all in the book. No, no, yeah. no. You can ask me anything, anything at all. I, um, I, I had, uh, did I have the implants? Yes, I did have the implants by then. Yeah, I did. But you never had bottom surgery? No, 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 no. Thank God I didn't do that. So you describe yourself as this, you know, rather glamorous but bored military wife. Uh, I think the name of the chapter is uh, Housefrau. Yeah, Housefrau. <laughs> <laughs> and you decide this is not for me. And you come, you come back to, uh, your mother becomes ill, you move back to Providence, and then you wind up back in New York City, still living as, as a woman. Yeah, and yeah. and now you're you've now you're a famous uh, club denizen. You become a, a a socialite and and are 
photographed and how, how does this happen? Well, I came back to the States and then um, reunited with my husband when he was finished with his tour in Germany and then we moved to Washington State. And in Washington State, I wasn't going to sit around the house all day and sort of, you know, do the dishes and clean the house. And, you know, not that there's anything wrong with, you know, I would love it. My dream is to be a housewife. Yeah, Um, I could dig it, too. Yeah. I think now it might be a little bit easier for me to do that. (laughs) But back then it wasn't um, because I had bigger dreams and ideas. So um, I, I got involved with a little theater company in Washington State. And I started acting and getting back to, you know, uh, doing what I really wanted to do. And uh, then we finished our term there and moved back to New York City and then landed. uh, I started, you know, getting involved in the New York City um, theater uh, world and doing plays, playing cisgender roles, acting. You know, no one ever, you know, I mean, there was one review in in the Village Voice that wasn't very kind about, um, you know, revealing my 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 uh, my uh, gender mm-hmm. um, was kind of funny. He said, "I, you know, mo- the character of mother reminded him of divine on a bad day." Yikes. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, shady. Yeah, very shady. shady. <laughs> and you know, that's kind of the that goes along with kind of the stuff that I was faced with pretty much through the seventies and eighties. That kind of like cutting sort of like well they're going to knock you down a peg because you know they they're uncomfortable with your gender identity so they're going to make sure that everyone knows what it is so that they can you know sort of you know chip away it it, it was really horrible it but you really be- but you became a a local trans celebrity yes i did yes, you were photographed yeah. by famous fashion photographers yes, and andy yes, warhol yes, and yeah yes, stephen hung- klein was another one and hung out at Studio yeah. 54 with all of the mm-hmm. celebutons. I was there opening night. I uh, read that. Yeah. That's yeah, an amazing that's, story. Yeah, it was the opening night, and it was really magical. We didn't get in the front door. We went around the back and pushed our way in. Uh. The door would open and close, and every, every time the door would open and close, the crowd would surge forward, and people would slip in, and the doorman was, like, freaked out. It was, like, hundreds of people trying to, like, push him out of the way. He just left the door open. It was like, go. <laughs> I have to say, reading your story, you know, there's there's a lot of of pain in there. Particularly, your childhood is it's just monstrous. I mean, if I may say, the the abuse that you suffered, and the alienation from your family, and there's this struggle that goes on. But at the same time, you have moments of real lightness and joy. That seemed to me to be at least for a while a happy time for you. Late seventies, early eighties in in New York living as Tish, as, as Natalia? Oh, yeah. I mean, there was definitely a sense of, you know, it was a time of freedom and expression. And so there was definitely this sort of carefree, sort of just express yourself, you know, be who you are. And, you know, I, I came out at a very early age, too, as gay. I mean, I was, you know, 15, 16, I was already sexually active. And, uh, you know, I'd run away from home. And so, like... You know, I always, I don't know if it was something innate in my personality, but I always felt like I was able to, you know, if there was something that I wanted to do, I was going to do it and nothing was going to really deter me from that. So, so I think that's where that sense of joy and sort of um, um, exuberance comes. I'm glad that that comes through in the book because I was really um, hoping that would be, be the result of that. So at what point do you start to question your gender again and say, you know what, maybe I'm not a woman? Well, I always had a question. I never really felt like I was, you know, I mean, people, you know, people talk about being in the wrong body and that may be true for them, but I never felt that that was my experience. I always felt that this was just an over-exaggerated expression of, you know, how I thought uh, people wanted me to be and you know because I felt so badly about myself and I had like zero self zero below <laughs> self-esteem I pretty much you know, was malleable I was molded I was you know you, oh you should do this okay if you think I should do this and you're going to be my friend I'll I'll 
I'll trust what yeah, you did have. You, did it make you feel like you belonged? It made you give you a sense of belonging? It did. It did. It made me feel like at least I could, you know, have friends because I didn't really have very, very many friends growing up. And so, you know, a lot of my decision making, too, which I also talk about in the book, is, you know, was under the influence of drugs. You know, I have a heavy, you know, I'm in recovery now, almost 32 years. I haven't had a, you know, drink or a drug but amazing a lot of a lot of the decisions were made under you know running up to Harlem and laying on a kitchen table and getting silicone injections after I'd taken a handful of tuminols you know I mean I mean that isn't the most um, uh, (laughs) that's not the most sane way to make those kind of changes in hearing your story I'm reminded of this line from Paris is burning when Pepper LaBeija is talking about these girls who who get the um, the surgery and they think once I once I become a woman then all my problems will go away. Right, right. But right. Chris, uh, Pepper says, but women get dogged, women get yeah. yes, raped, women yes. get robbed. It's yeah. no easier for them. Yeah. Was it was yeah. part of it thinking if I was if I were just a woman then this would my life would be easier. Absolutely, absolutely. Because I remember really early on at some point in my childhood having this you know, conscious idea that I never wanted to be anything like my brothers or the men in my life. And it must be much easier to be a woman if you're feminine or, you know, on the spectrum of gender. So, yeah. Which, of course, any woman, trans or cis, would (laughs) laugh at, right? Because it's it's certainly not, not easy being a woman. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 you know, and in this we're talking about in the 70s and 80s. I mean, this was, you know, I mean, one of the things that I hope people will, will, get from my story is that on top of the gender uh, uh, identity issue and you know uh, there were lots of other things going on there was the addiction there was the gender confusion there was uh, misogyny which was a big part of you know I mean and and what I had done was made myself into this big sexy broad you know broad bombshell and of course that turned against me in a way because I became sort of like this not taken seriously and men would just you know want to get in my pants and they didn't think I had a thought between my cleavage the Marilyn Monroe the Marilyn Monroe syndrome Mm -hmm. yes you know so um, when you begin to uh, what you call retransition what at what point does that happen um, that happened after my first year of recovery. You know, um, there's a big thing in the recovery community, no major changes in the first year. Yeah, <laughs> that would be considered a major change. <laughs> so I was very depressed once I got off of drugs. I was suicidal. I was in therapy. I was really struggling with, you know, what what the, had I done with, you know, my life. I was also recently diagnosed with HIV, um, which was another obstacle. Recently at the time. At, in the, in the first year uh-huh. of recovery and the way that the doctor described you know came in and announced it to me was was so horrifying i mean he said to me well you're a drug addict and a prostitute what did you think mm. wow yeah that's how i got way my age. great bedside what year was that 87 87 so i thought to myself oh wow so now here's another yet another layer of of struggle for me to um, deal with. But I just kind of like woke up one day and just, you know, started, you know, really examining gender also and also accepting the feminine parts of my personality as well as the masculine parts of my personality and not putting any sort of judgment or shame or um, other, you know, uh, uh, view on that. And I was able to, I mean, this... I, for me, this is just for me, but I was able to um, uh, combine both elements and, and, and just appreciate both, you know, really um, the male part of me and the female part of me. I do drag sometimes. I've done drag acting. I, You know, I'm part of the Ridiculous Theater Company. I was on mm-hmm. stage last year at, at La Mama and they're uh, playing, you know, Alice, First Lady of the Earth. So, you know, just because I retransition back to male doesn't mean that I can't have that experience if I want to. So there's a lot of freedom and not being sort of stuck. Would you describe yourself now as gender fluid? Um, I would, except um, it's, 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 I'm probably, yeah, gender fluid. I would probably say I'm, I'm more gender fluid, but also um, 
for simplicity's sakes, I would say I'm a cisgendered gay uh, man of trans experience. I like you that. Know? It's a mouthful, yeah. but I yeah. like it. Yeah. What yeah. would you say to young kids who hear your story or read your story and, and are questioning their own gender? Because um, it nowadays I feel like it's happening younger and younger that kids are coming out and saying, I'm not a boy, I'm a girl, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. What, do you, what do you say to those kids? Um, I say to them, you know, do what you feel you need to do. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I can only imagine had I had that experience myself. And I had the, you know, what I've been saying to, to around that issue or what I believe to be true is that, you know, parents should just love and support their children no matter what gender they're presenting or what, you know, what, what they may think the outcome should be for them. Because I think that just leave the kids alone. Let them figure yes. it out for themselves. You know, I mean, in my case, I think because of the history and the time period, there was a lot of prohibitive, you know, ideas and messages about gender then that were not sort of in the consciousness of, of society now. So I think, you know, had I had that support, maybe my whole life would have been different. But I really believe that, I, I, I only get worried when, when, when parents become overly protective and overly sort of, you know, like hovering and helicopterish and sort of like just sort of making the decision. You know, I, I, I think that they should just let them figure it out for themselves. Yeah. You know? and, 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 and I don't really see what the rush is. You know, I don't know why there's this rush to try to, you know, because eventually it's all going to, it all comes out in the wash either way. You yeah. Know? I mean, it does. And we're all humans. And, you know, we'll all figure it out. I mean, Brian, we have just a couple of minutes left. And I want to ask you, um, because we hear so much about Marsha P. Johnson, she's been rediscovered over the last decade as being a seminal figure mm-hmm. in the LGBTQ rights movement. Um, you knew her. Mm-hmm. What can you tell us about Marsha? Oh what are God. your memories of her? Oh, my God. Well, she was a presence anytime we went to Christopher Street, Marsha was perched on the corner there, usually by the um, the pizza parlor. I can't remember the name of the pizza parlor, but she was always there. You know, you could always count that Marsha would be there. And, you know, always so, like, happy and cheerful and happy to see you. And, and she was just very, you know, very... Um, loving she was just a very loving figure and i remember her as being um very welcoming and friendly and uh you know i recently you know one person it's so funny you know uh, you asked me about that because uh, one one uh i refer to her as, as as a drag queen in the book because when i met her you know and i was 17 or 18 years old i mean i think that she was presenting as a drag queen i mean and you say in the book there wasn't this clear separation between drag queens and trans women as there is now no no and i i got one really lousy review from my book i mean other than most of the other ones most of them have been really fantastic but this one person sort of you know chastised me for referring to her as a drag queen and from what i knew of her then i mean i didn't know her later in her life we took you know went different directions but you know what I knew of her then was that she was in drag I didn't know that she was presenting as female so I asked her best friend Randy Wicker I said gee I felt really bad that someone would take me to task for referring to her that way yeah Mm -hmm. to Marsha that way and he said well she would hate that he said she would hate that because she was all about love and all about acceptance and she was she you know she she was a feminine presence but she was not according to him trans how do you how do you how do you see the lgbtq community in 2018 versus what you saw back then are we in a better place are we in a a safer place i feel like in some ways we've gone forwards and in other ways we've gone backwards i feel like you know so much so much progress has been made but i think we need to do so so much more and you know i'm hoping that you know um 
we can just, you know, not suffer the, you know, fatigue that we're having right now with, you know, just trying to keep on, you know, like I, I've marched in the, in the gay parade so many times and I think like, oh my God, if I have to march in one more parade, <laughs> it's like, come on, I'm 60 something years old already. I've been marching my whole life and I'm like, can we just like get to the point <laughs> that, you know, and I hope that before I die that or I leave this, this plane or whatever that there, that, you know, this isn't going to be a conversation that we need to have. I hope so can. too. Brian Belovich, your book is called Transfigured, My Journey from Boy to Girl to Woman to Man. Thank you so much for Thank being on you. the show. It's been a real pleasure. Tarek Daniels, we will have you back very soon. Uh, next week, my guest co-host will be Marty Thomas. Subscribe to Derek and Romaine. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam Sank. Email me at adam at adamsank.com. Have a great week, bitches. Brian, are you on Twitter? How do people follow you? I am at B-B-E-L-O-V. Follow Brian, you guys. He's a fascinating Twitter. person, and his book is great. Thank you again. Thank you.